Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Tim crushes this ball. He throws the bat. The ball goes flying. It is gone. Under the Hood, behind the scenes, nobody really sees. Runs. Hey, I'm hot. Jonathan Hood. I'm hot. Rubisky, Robinson, Allen Robinson, touchdown Bears. Back with the interception, and Mack will take it all the way in for a touchdown. A lot of this is behind the scenes or under the hood. DeMarc in it. Oh! He didn't come for the massage, he came for the fight show. Oh, baby. Woo! Jonathan Hood. Oh, man. Put a body on that man, please. Breaks the hole. Swift got running room. Swift got to go. 30, 20, 10. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. I'm the man. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Live from Chicago, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. What's up and welcome in on a Tuesday night. Jonathan Hood with you here until 10 o'clock with open phone lines for you. 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776. That is our telephone number. Hit me up on Snapchat, SnapJHood. You follow me on Snapchat, I will follow you back guaranteed. Also on Instagram, IGJHood as we broadcast live from our first Midwest Bank Studios. Strong, trusted, First Midwest Bank. Our number one, we'll hear from Jesse Rogers, who covers the Cubs like a blanket for ESPN.com. We'll hear from Jesse getting his thoughts about the Cubs. They get ready to take on the Colorado Rockies in Denver. That's a 740 start. But we'll hear from Jesse live from the ballpark, finding out his thoughts about the Cubs falling short yesterday and how they can turn things around on the road. Also, we will have one question. You know, if people are busy. Look, we're here weeknights at 7, and people get busy, right? So the reason why people are busy, they have time to come on. Sometimes they only have time for just a few questions. Well, we narrow it down to one question. We do this every night. One question, and we always pick someone at random. Someone in my phone. I'm going to call and ask them one question. And so we'll have that coming up for you at 7.50 right here on ESPN 1000. Also, we'll hear from Whitney Young's own. DePaul, Blue Demons, Chicago's own Quentin Richardson from ESPN will be with this queue. Uh, works for ESPN as an NBA uh, expert, so we'll hear from Quentin Richardson coming up at 810. Also, we'll hear from Sean Farnham for another program. Sean Farnham is an ESPN college basketball analyst, and you see him on um, Get Up from time to time. Sean does a great job talking uh, college basketball, so we'll hear from Sean coming up at 910. The reason why is because the NBA draft is right around the corner next Thursday. Thursday. It's going to be the NBA draft, so we're going to find out what the Bulls uh, could be doing there with that number seven pick. We'll hear from Sean coming up at nine ten. And if you're a wrestling fan, oh, if you're a wrestling fan, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. If you're a wrestling fan, we have something for you. A half hour after SmackDown Live is over on the USA Network. We talk wrestling with you every Tuesday at 9.30. So if you are a wrestling fan or know of one, tell them to come to their listening advice at 9.30 right here on ESPN 1000. Hope that you had a great Tuesday. Hope that you have a great Tuesday night as we're with you. Until 10 o'clock, and then it's Dan Levitard, Stu Gotts, and Greg Cody right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. All right, let's start with a little baseball first, though, with the Cubs and the White Sox. 
Uh, with the White Sox first, White Sox coming into this game against Washington, this very uh, brief two-game series, the Sox are, are 31-34. and 34. They're four games behind, and they are 14-19 and 19 on the road, 17-15 and, 17 and 15 at guaranteed rate. You know, when you look at this season for the White Sox, and we'll get into the Cubs in just a moment, I just want to point this out. You know, you look at, at uh, White Sox baseball at this point in time, and they're going to get to a point when we get to the deadline and try to figure out, you know, who are they? Are they a team that will be sellers? Will they hold Pat? Will they stand Pat and not do anything? It'll be interesting to see how Rick Hahn plays this because I was just reading earlier today from The Athletic, and they give their top teams in Major League Baseball, and so they start from the bottom, and they talk about some of the bad teams, like the Marlins, and the Detroit Tigers, and the Seattle Mariners, and they, you kind of scroll down, and you see the Chicago White Sox, right? So, here's what they say about the White Sox. At number 22, out of all the teams in Major League Baseball, they're ranked 22nd, and rightfully so. The White Sox offseason pursuit of Manny Machado made clear that their rebuilding process was coming to a close, and that they were in it to win it that Machado chose San Diego instead of uh, going with anyone else. So the Sox are creeping up on 500, and Lucas Giolito is the best pitcher in the entire American League right now. The White Sox are carrying multiple starting pitchers who are getting lit up most times, more times than not, and they've got a grade-A slinger at AAA striking out more than a batter an inning while being stingy with long balls. It's fair to ask when we're going to see Dylan Cease. So they kind of break down Cease and how he could be the number two starter for this team if he comes to the mound. That wasn't the case yesterday, though, because even though I think there were some Sox fans that were hoping, okay, with all the injuries that the White Sox have suffered, why not see Dylan Cease? And clearly the Sox aren't ready for that just as of yet. And I can totally understand that. As much as as I would like to see Cease up here uh, with the big club to see what he can do, they went with a journeyman, a 31-year-old journeyman, and, of course, the Sox fell short and got blown out by uh, the Washington Nationals. But I can understand why a Sox fan would be excited. Right now, you're starting to see bubbling to the surface some cornerstone players for this White Sox team. It's led by Tim Anderson, and Jose Abreu's always been there, and you're seeing Lurie Garcia, and you see a number of guys that are starting to bubble to the surface and trying to help this White Sox team out. But because of the injuries... And because of the question marks for this White Sox team, they're, they're not going to really seriously contend. I mean, I, I could be hopeful and look at the wild card and see that the Sox are four games out of the wild card. Yankees on top of that, way ahead of that, and so are the Rays. And the Rangers are right there even at 35 and 30. But the Sox and the Angels, the Athletics, the Red Sox, the Indians are all in the wild card hunt. Uh, and that shows you kind of where we are with the American League, right? I, I just think that. By the time we get to the deadline, it is okay to be able to relinquish a couple of players from this White Sox team, including the closer. Because, once again, being in the Machado sweepstakes and actually getting Machado are two different things. It sucks to be in the middle. You don't want to be in the middle if you are a any team. It's one thing to be horrible. It's one thing to be on top. But being in the middle is, is terrible. So the Sox have to be able to find their niche in this next free agency. That means that they have to really seriously contend here. Uh, there are some question marks about some of the guys that are available that was sitting on the sidelines, like Kimbrell, or you know, a number of players that are still looking for work, and the Sox didn't go after them because they don't feel like they're ready yet. Um, when will they be ready? That's the thing. 
turnstiles won't click. Uh, television and radio ratings will not help the White Sox unless they have something interesting. And Tim Anderson is the most interesting thing on this White Sox team, and they have some good things going for them. But, uh, again, you got to be able to figure out who you are as a franchise because being in the middle and just uh, looking at the window, hoping that Sox fans will come out, uh, that won't be good enough as we talk about the Sox and the Cubs with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. The Cubs, they have lost nine of their last 12 road games. They blew a 4 nothing lead against the Rockies. We turn to Jesse Rogers, who uh, covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. He joins us from Denver. Hello, Jess. Hey, Jay Hood. What's happening, pal? You know what's happening. I was just talking about the Sox. They're just getting underway against Washington. They, they, they have to, the Sox have to figure out who they want to be here by the time we get to the deadline. Four games out in the wild card, but you know that they aren't going anywhere. So they got to figure out who they want to be before they can make another step, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, but it's a great question that, that, that can even be asked about that team, right? That, that's the question you want to be asked. Are we in some sort of a playoff hunt situation, or do we want to just continue to retool? I, I think it's, it's as simple as this, because I've, I've seen it. I know exactly the blueprint, because Theo and Jed went through it with the Cubs. It, it, whatever moves they make in July, Jay Hood, have to, have to help them beyond 2019. That's the question that they have to answer every time they consider a move. If it's a move that only helps them this season, you do not do it. You do not give up assets just to help yourself this season. It has to be moves that help you. And I learned this from Jed and Theo as well, that um, I know it's obvious, but it's not so obvious that the July trading season is another way to get better for the future as much as it is now, no matter what part of your rebuilding process you're in. Uh, whether you're a contender or not, you still have – it, there's two times of the year to do it, uh, basically the off season, so you know the month of December, whatever you know the, the main month is, and then July, and and it's not just even though it's a mid season trading deadline, it's not just about that season. That's why the trade for Jose Quintana went down. It wasn't just about that season. They knew they had him under control at a decent rate for a couple more years. Mm-hmm. So that's what Rick Hahn, especially in a rebuilding situation that isn't quite you know to fruition yet, that's what he has to consider. Does this deal help us beyond 2019? You've got to figure that out uh, if you're the general manager of the White Sox and Rick Hahn, there's no question. So if I asked you to give a letter grade to you, Darvish, this season, what would it be? Okay, well, I have to think about last year's letter grade. I know a lot of people would say incomplete, but let's just say last year was, I don't know, an F <laughs> uh, when he was out there. If last year's an F, then this year's a C. If last year's a D, this year's a C. So I guess it's a C. It's a C. I mean, maybe I'm being a, just based on ERA. Maybe it's more like a D. Um, I'm trying not to factor in his salary because it shouldn't when you're just talking about performance. So it's it's a C, no better. It's the, you, you can't have an ERA at five and be better than a C. Um, now, there's always extenuating circumstances. We could dive into his numbers and say he's a little bit better than his, the results. But, you know, uh, at this point, there's nothing wrong with a C if last year was a D or F. There's improvement. Um, I do like the fact he's not walking, guys. I think that's huge, and it, it eventually might pay off into some better outings overall. I didn't think last night was bad. Um, he had a bad moment giving up a 4 nothing lead, but it wasn't a bad outing, not at Coors Field. So, um, C, I think, sounds about right. Now, again, if you have the salary, maybe it's C-minus, B-plus territory. Mm-hmm. If you just go off of ERA, well... You know, five is pretty bad, but I'm going to say a C. 
you know, the answer to the, to the question I'm going to ask you is, you know, it's just baseball. You know, baseball has its ebbs and flows. You're going to have streaks and you're going to go backwards sometimes. But I, the one thing I've been saying a lot this season already, Jesse, is that I don't have a problem with the with the Cubs offense. The offense, again, when the lineup is written, you if you're a Cub fan, you should feel confident this team should score runs. And I don't have a problem with this Cubs team on the road either. I mean, it, from their OPS to their, their OBP to their batting average, their at-bat per home run and all that, all those things are in the top two in Major League Baseball, especially uh, on the road. The, the Cubs are hitting the ball well. My question is, how can the pitching turn around on the road? Because that seems to be the issue early on. Yeah, you know, early on, way early it was the pitching. Uh, more recently on the road, it was a little combination of both. Remember, they, they lost two two-to-one games um, on that last road trip. So that, that, that points to hitting a little bit. I think it's a, it, it's been a combination of things on the road to, to produce a 13 and 17 record. I don't think they're as bad as that record, even though you are what you are sometimes, right? Um, they've lost, uh, I have it right here, 11 of their 17 road, lo- road losses have been by one or two runs. It's been pretty tight. Four of their last six have been by one run. So they're just missing out on the road. It's just not getting over the hump. Games that they, if you replayed those games at Wrigley Field, they'd probably win just having the last at bat or whatever the case may be, just so that little edge you get at home, why, that's why you know most home teams have a better record than road teams most of the time. So uh, road, road, better record than road, road records. Anyway, um, so I, I, you know, I don't know if it's just the pitching. I think it's just they have to put some things together, pitching and hitting, offense and defense. Um, and, and at moments, I guess, if you look at the 17 losses, it's probably been more pitching than hitting because that 2-7 and seven start, was all about the pitching. But I don't think it's been so bad, not since then at least. What is, as we talk to Jesse Rogers, as we get ready for the Cubs and Rockies, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app, what do you think, what is your theory, Jesse, on home runs being hit so far (laughs) this year? There's been a ton. In May, 1,135 home runs, which is a Major League Baseball record. Is the ball juiced? Has to be. Has to be. I think, remember at the, once the steroids, you know, steroid era was here and, and, and open and, you know, publicly everyone knew what was going on. We were all like, geez, how did we not know this a couple of years ago? I feel like when, when Sammy was hitting 60 and McGuire was hitting 60, nobody was talking about steroids. A couple of years later, we were all talking about steroids. I feel like the same thing's going to happen here in a few years. We're going to look back and say, how did we not just definitively know it was the ball? All the evidence points to the ball, starting with this year more than any um, in AAA They've gone to a different ball. They've gone to the same ball uh, the, the, the big leagues are using, and the ball is flying out of AAA. I don't know what more of a litmus test you need than that. Last year they used a different ball in AAA, normal home run numbers as far as I know. This year they're using the major league ball, and the home runs are flying. Um, it, it's the only answer through the process of elimination because it can't be that everyone's using steroids again. You know, I'm, not, I'm just not going to believe that Tommy Lestel is using steroids. <laughs> I just don't believe that all these people are. And I just can't believe it's only the launch angle stuff. I just, I just don't believe it. I've seen swings that are that are not all about launch angle and the ball is flying out. In fact, using Tommy as an example, I've watched every one of his 15 home runs. If you just watch the ball hitting the bat, you would think about, I don't know, four were going out. You know, I'm sorry. I love Tommy, but you would not think that, you know, nine or ten of those home runs or those balls were leaving the yard. So, through process of elimination, 
on top of the AAA numbers, it has to be the ball. Yeah, I'm thinking it is too. I just, it, it, but I'm wondering. It's a deeper conversation, but just like baseball is it what is. it is. It, it, it's a deeper conversation because it's like, you know, baseball always needs more attention. I get that. But it's funny that the difference between 20 years ago and now is that we're not turning our heads and, and it's nope. not like it's a topic conversation on national radio about, wow, why is there so many home runs like it was before? People kind of wink and nod and know what it is. I guess. I guess. Yeah. Um you know, I, there's no other answer. There's really no other answer at this point. Um, you know, they talk about guys getting bigger and stronger. You know, we've been in a in a more enlightened age of conditioning for a while now. For a while now, the last time we saw this home run splurge, there were there were there was a specific reason for it: steroids. Now, I still think there's a specific reason. Just what is it? What is it? It's not about lifting some weights. Come on not about just swinging upward a little bit although that's contributed i will say i will say that's contributed but um the way the ball is jumping off these bats uh to me that's got to be the ball uh did madden's have anything interesting to say uh, before the game you know it was a little quiet pregame he mentioned that uh craig kimbrough did throw another bullpen session this time in arizona yesterday so uh you know take today off from throwing anything meaningful you know in terms of in the bullpen he obviously plays catch every day um, so next up, it's either another bullpen or, or he'll face some live hitters out in Arizona. I don't think he's too far off from going uh, to rehab assignment, but but we don't. I don't know what his recovery is today after throwing yesterday. You know, there's certain things you know we're just not going to know until the team updates us. But uh, as far as we know, everything going well with Kimbrel, so we'll keep an eye on that. But everything else is kind of status quo. You mentioned the, the hitting. You know, I think right now, other than Daniel Descalso, you're getting a good. Uh, Good production out of most of the guy the position players on this team. It's, it's like no one's really slumping in a really really bad way, and that's a good sign. You want to keep that going, and then of course some someone or two will go into a slump, and the Cubs have enough to cover that. And then, of course, uh, Madden did talk about Descalso. You know, Joe, he's not going to bury anyone. Descalso is going to get a chance to get back in there. Might not be till next week because they face I think three lefties in LA, but uh, that's the one guy he wants to get going. My friend, I'm being told here through that last answer. Sean tells me you have a book out. Could you could you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> I'm hearing this in my headphones. You, a book. I, I just I, I just mailed out a bunch uh, of signed copies of Try Not to Suck, the definitive bio on Joe Madden. It's Father's Day this Sunday, so um, I can't sign one for you, but you can go to Amazon. You can go to Amazon online or your local bookstore, get one uh, hardcover, a little cheaper with the paperback. Try Not to Suck, great Father's Day gift. My friend, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on the show. You got it, Jay Hood. Take care. It is Jesse Rogers who covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. Follow him on Twitter at ESPN. Shy Cubs, as he reports live from Denver, he'll give us some updates uh, at 8.30 and 9.30 on what's going on with the Cubs and the Rockies. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Speaking of baseball, and I'll get to the uh, the NBA Finals and KD discussion coming up uh, at 7.30. I, I want to... Uh, cite this piece that was written by Ken Rosenthal, speaking of baseball, from TheAthletic.com. Major League Baseball needs to improve competitive balance. And he talks about Keiko's contract history and talking about the Cardinals, how they're falling. Um, so I will start with the Cardinals first, and then I'll talk about that big topic. He talks about competitive balance. So watching the Cubs-Cardinals series, watched every inning or you listen to it on the radio, 
I was following that series very closely because I wanted to kind of I know what the Cubs can do. I know that Cubs team is a team that could be in the playoffs. It should be in the playoffs uh, this upcoming season. But I wanted to look at the St. Louis Cardinals closely here with them being in town to try to determine, like, like is there a difference between Mike Schild, who is the uh, manager of the Cardinals now, and Mike Mathidi, the former manager of the Cardinals? And I'm going to tell you that there's not much of a difference. Yes, Paul Goldschmidt is with this Cardinals team, but the team seems to be the same. And, and Rosenthal talks about this. He says, this is a disappointment. He says, the Cardinals rotation, which ranks 11th in the National League with a 4.35 ERA, or their offense, which is supposed to evolve in more of a force with the addition of first baseman Paul Goldschmidt, the Cardinals are actually worse with Goldschmidt than they were without him, with a 4.64 runs per game down to from 4.69 last season. Their month-to-month averages highlight their decline since the season started. The Cardinals were at 5.45 in March and April, only second to the Cubs in the National League, and have dropped to 4.30 in May of 13th and now 14th in June. That Cardinal outfit over the last, I don't know how many years, does not look like the Cardinals teams that I grew up with or even your father grew up with. Fundamentally sound, taking the extra base, uh, always in the mix for the playoffs, or if not giving you just fundamental baseball. I know it sounds old school, but there was a, a cardinal way of doing things when I was a kid growing up in the 80s watching cardinal baseball and watching cardinals now. There is really no difference. And I talked to um, Pedro Gomez about this on Dickerson and Hood on Sunday when we did our national show, and, he, and you heard it if you were listening on Sunday. He says, you know, there isn't that much a difference. It's surprising. For a team that's always had a way, and this is what I kind of pound the pulpit about with the White Sox, is that you've got to be able to find a way, a way of playing baseball, uh, where up and down the minor league system into the major league system, you have a way of playing baseball. And I don't know what that is with the Cardinals. Uh, He also talks about competitive balance, too. You know, one thing that you don't call me on or something that you don't send me on social media, you don't talk to me about competitive balance when it comes to Major League Baseball. You know, everybody can't be the champion. Everybody can't be in the wild card. And there's always going to be, historically, in our lives, you and I both know this, there's always been horribly managed teams, horribly run teams. The Cubs used to be one of those. Sox were were one of those for a long time. There's always going to be teams that's going to lose 100 games or in that threshold because they're run poorly or they have some kind of plan to go from from worst to first. The Royals and the Orioles on, on pace to lose more than 100 games. The Blue Jays and the Marlins on pace to lose more than 100 games. Um, then there's the Mariners and the Giants and the Tigers who are on pace to lose 96 games. It, it, you know, it, so there's that potential that there could be seven 100 lost teams in a sport that only once had as many as four in 2002 when the Rays and the Brewers and the Tigers all lost 106 games. The Royals lost 100. That happens when you're poorly run or when you've got a whole bunch of injuries and you don't know your direction or you have a poor farm system that can't replace the guys that are on the big club. I don't have a problem with competitive balance. Yeah, there's always been bad teams. What baseball needs to do is to try to be more interesting throughout the regular season. It should not just be an October sport. It shouldn't just be your if your t- favorite team is contending, then that's good enough. That's got to permeate throughout baseball. And not just for my generation as a Gen Xer or baby boomers. It's got to grow for the future. I don't care about me as a baseball fan. I'm, I can, I'm concerned about the future when it comes to baseball. 
Competitive balance doesn't matter to me now, but I'm just wondering about the future of the game. How can you get someone today, a millennial or even younger, okay, to be able to lock in on a baseball season for 162 games plus the playoffs and to keep their interest and to get that butt in that seat uh, at the stadium? You know, that that's what I'm concerned with. I'm not concerned about me. I'm, I'm an older guy that's been watching baseball all my life. I'm concerned about the future of the game. All right, coming up next, we talk about Kevin Durant and the Golden State Warriors. They showed a lot of resolve last night. But what is, what is it going to be like now for the Warriors without KD? And can the Raptors finally knock down that championship? We talk about it coming up next as you're listening to Under the Hood. As I combine all the juice from the mind, heal up, wheel up, bring it back, come rewind. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here's Fred Van Vliet, front court. Ten seconds to go. Down one. They go to Kawhi with seven and half court. Looks at the clock. Drives Thompson. Double team. Finds Van Vliet with two. Into the corner. Lowry for the championship. No! It hits the side of the backboard. The game is over. The Golden State Warriors are extending this final series back to a game six in Oakland. To every game of the NBA Finals right here on ESPN 1000. Mark Kessinger on the call. Yes, the Warriors were able to survive and win that ball game against Toronto yesterday. Glad you're with me here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood. Also on Snapchat, snapjhood. Uh, still to come in the program, we'll hear from Quentin Richardson, Chicago Zone. We'll get his thoughts as an NBA analyst for ESPN. We'll get his thoughts about the NBA Finals. We'll get to that coming up at 810 right here on ESPN 1000. So I've been doing this for a number of years, and as a producer or as a talk show host, I remember certain stories in Chicago sports that resonated with me. Like, for instance, Chicago Cub Mark Pryor being injured and unable to really reach his destiny, his full destiny as a pitcher for the Cubs because he had so many injuries. He looked perfect. That windup looked perfect. And his mechanics looked perfect. The best that we've seen since Tom Seaver or something like that. And the problem with Mark is is that Mark just continued to be injured to a point where he just could not pitch for anybody anymore because mechanically he looked great, but he just could not be the guy. Kerry Wood had that same issue, and so did Derrick Rose, of course, as we saw on the stadium floor against the Philadelphia 76ers, and we saw several times in a Bulls uniform, Derrick Rose could not perform because of injury. And, of course, along with those injuries will be conjecture and there will be conversation and there will be a lot of side eye when it comes to athletes that cannot perform. And one of the things that uh, is really kind of odd, not sad, but odd about our sports society is that just because a player plays for your favorite team, doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be an all-star. Doesn't necessarily mean that that person is going to lead your team to a championship. That's what you'd like to see. But you come to realize that they, they are just wearing a uniform. And they're trying to feed their family. And they're trying to be able to live out their dream. And so sometimes in sports, being a fan goes over the top. Fan coming from the word fanatic. 
And no matter what you see on social media, no matter what you read about from blogs or hear from commentators, the one of the things that's missed more times than not is the human element. The human element, how someone like Kevin Durant, who arguably is the best player in the NBA, wanted to be out there for his teammates, and he wanted to be able to help the Warriors out of this 3-1 hole. And he did for a little bit. Kevin Durant was out there for 11 points in 12 minutes. He gave you a glimpse of exactly how good he is in a moment he was out there. Just, a, a, again, a glimpse of how Durant could take over a game. And then he goes down with that torn Achilles. And he, he has to limp out of the Scotiabank Arena. Had to limp out because he was trying to help his team and he re-injured himself. Even probably worse than he was before. But the question marks were, well, how come KD can't play? I mean, look at Steph Curry, look at Klay Thompson, and look at uh, look at uh, Boogie Cousins, look at all these other Warriors. How come those guys are out there and they're not 100%, but yet Durant is n- not playing and he's hurt? How come he's not out there with his teammates? Well, one of the things that is interesting to me is that Kevin Durant probably went out there last night because of the big P word. You know what that P word is? The P word for him is perception. He cares about what you think. He cares about what I think. He cares about that Twitter egg. He cares about that silhouette on Instagram. He cares about what people say about him. And so the perception is, is that, you know what, if I don't go out there, then people will get on me. Just like people got on him for making a decision that was best for him as a free agent, who, again, the word is free and free agent, and he decides to be free from Oklahoma City and goes to Golden State Warriors because he wants to win a championship. It increases his chances of winning a championship. He did that because it was best for him. But then there was all this perception and all these loud mouths on television and radio and all these people coming at him on social media because of perception. What is the perception of Kevin Durant? He cares about that. It's one of the things that I don't understand about him is that he cares about that Twitter egg when he should just care about his legacy. But he was out there because he wanted to prove a point. It's like, yeah, you know what? All my other teammates are not out there. The perception is is that I'm just laying out. I'm just going to lay low because, you know, free agency is right around the corner. No matter how this ends up, Warriors win, Raptors win. I know I'm going to be able to, to be able to get my destiny. I'll be able to steer my destiny to where I want to be. Go to New York, go to Brooklyn, go to Los Angeles, go to Dallas, wherever he was going to go. And then the injury happened. Jalen Rose blamed the KD injury that we saw last night on the culture of sports. One, I blame the overall culture of sports. There's a herd mentality that takes place when you're a professional athlete. And all of a sudden, when you start to make a lot of money, people think that you're immune to everything that comes with being a human being. And so if the Golden State Warriors were up 3-1, KD would not have returned. But since they were down 3-1, he was forced to return based on all of the chatter that we knew was going to take place. He's soft. He really didn't want it. He wasn't committed to the team. Oh, and he was leaving anyway. And he knows that. That's why he decided he wanted to come back. There's a group called State Property that I loved growing up. And one of the things I think it was Oskino and Spark said, people will bring 
flowers to your funeral, but don't bring you soup when you're sick. That's what I'm seeing for KD right now. Everybody fake acting like they caring about KD's best interest when they don't. It's phony to me. I just said Friday night on NBA Countdown that KD's workout did not go well for nobody involved. The thoughts there from Jalen Rose from Get Up, an NBA analyst on ESPN. You continue to hear all these stories, and my phone blew up for the last 12 hours about what's going on with the Golden State Warriors. And I, I hear a lot of different stories of KD was in the workouts and KD uh, didn't want to do it, but he had to do it because of perception. The doctor cleared him. Bob Myers cleared him. And even though he didn't feel 100%, he went out there and tried it anyway. Now, this is not like a babyface turn, a good guy turn for KD, because KD has decided that he doesn't really he cares about what you say and will fight back at the media, fight back at people on social media about what is said about him. But I know this is that Kevin Durant didn't have to prove anything to me personally. I know he's great. If he didn't play last night, if he didn't play in the series, that told me that he was not ready to go. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about whether or not he was resting himself for free agency. If he was not ready to go, he wasn't ready to go. Clay Thompson was injured, had to miss a game, but was able to get back in there because he was healthy enough to play. Kevin Durant is not that dude. I don't, from all... The, the sources and people that I've talked to that's around KD closer than I am here in Chicago. KD is not that dude is just going to sit out. He wanted to compete. He wanted, because these young guys, all they care about is legacy. They care about legacy. They care about winning championships. And, and so the fall to roll and the conjecture that's out there on social media about what Kevin Durant is. What Ke- Here's what Kevin Durant is. Kevin Durant's a guy that, want, that wanted to help his team win, even though he didn't feel 100% and felt didn't, probably didn't feel confident about being out there. And then you saw the leg snap. And so that's what's going on. Now, here's the thing that's really troublesome about this is that even with today's modern medicine, we may not see Kevin Durant at all next season. Because when you take a look at all of the injuries that um, that others have had, this Achilles injury that others have had in the NBA, um, yeah, you hope that he can come back for somebody next season, but it doesn't seem very likely. All the injuries, like John Wall, who had this injury, DeMarcus Cousins had this injury January 26th of 2018, Rudy Gay had this injury at age 30, Wesley Matthews had this injury, so did Brennan Jennings, and so did Chauncey Billups and Elton Brand. All these players had those injuries, and guess what? It took them over a year to try to get back into the mix after that injury. Kobe Bryant had that injury. He was 34 at the time in April of 2013. When Patrick Ewing was 36 toward the end, uh, he had that same injury. So there's been a lot of these Achilles injuries where it wipes out an, almost an entire season for a lot of these guys. I just feel bad for KD because Kevin Durant wanted to be able to help his team and he couldn't. So with all the drama and all the nonsense and the yakety yak that you hear, just pull, push all that stuff back, push it back and just realize that Kevin Durant was focused on winning a championship. His whole, his whole focus. Let us hear from Bob Myers, 
Bob Myers was talking about Katie's injury. I don't know why he stepped to the podium, but he felt the need to be able to tell the press about what happened with Katie's injury. Let's hear it from Bob Myers after he realizes that this is going to be the end for Katie for the season. Um... Kevin had a, it's it's an Achilles injury. I don't know uh, the extent of it. He'll have an MRI tomorrow. Um, prior to coming back, he went through four weeks with our medical team, and um, it was thorough, and it was experts and multiple MRIs and multiple doctors. Um, and we felt good about the process. Uh, he was cleared to play tonight. That, that was a collaborative decision. Um, I don't believe there's anybody to blame, but I understand this, this world. And um, if you have to, you can blame me. I, ru- I run our basketball di- operations department. And... <laughs> Um, let me tell you something about Kevin Durant Kevin Durant loves to play basketball and the people that questioned whether he wanted to get back to this team were wrong so the thoughts there from Bob Myers unhappy, sad and I don't know if that's from guilt I don't know what why he's crying the way he was I know. I think he just felt bad for a guy that didn't have to play but wanted to play and help his team. And again, he was medically cleared by everyone else who said, you can't injure it. You can't injure your situation even more so. So just going out there and you saw the end result. So instead of playing the blame game of why was he on the floor and who should, who should be the blame for all this, instead of doing going down that route, I will just say that Kevin Durant wanted to play because he had something to prove that I want to go out there and play and help my teammates win. There's a guy that wanted to win a championship. He wanted to continue to cement his legacy with the Golden State Warriors. And, of course, because of the injury, fell short. We have one question, just one question, coming up next right here on Under the Hood. I go work like a doctor. When I rock the mic, you got to like it. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. You're listening to my mans and them. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Glad that you're with me here on this Tuesday night. Oh, by the way, I got tickets. I got tickets, y'all. I'll tell you what it is coming up. Uh, after Sports Center 802, I'll tell you the tickets I got to give away. We'll give them away in the 9 o'clock hour, but I'll tell you what the tickets are at the top of 8. So if you want them, I hope that you win them because I love when my listeners from Under the Hood, I love when you guys get a chance to win tickets on this show. Um, so we'll tell you about those coming up at 802 right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We are packed today. we got so many great things on this program today. We're going to hear from Quentin Richardson uh, from ESPN, Chicago Zone, get his thoughts about the NBA Finals, and also we will bear down, talk to some bears at 830, tales from the hood, and so much more as we move forward here on our program. You know, 
because it's weeknights. People are just so busy. They don't have time. You know, it's, it's great. I'm grateful that we have guests that come on the program here weeknights to talk to you and I about their perspective of certain sports and certain issues that's going on in our sports world. But sometimes, sometimes they don't have a lot of time. So today we talked to Steve Silverman from the Bleacher Report. Steve Silverman from Bleacher Report, he didn't have time for me for a full interview, but he was ready for just one question. You guys lose this game or did the Jazz win this one? Time for one question. What? With Jonathan Hood. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Just one question. Oh, there's one more thing. On ESPN 1000. It is time for one question. We turn to Steve Silverman, who's been covering the Blues and the Bruins. Steve, are you with me? I am here. And the question for you is, who is going to win Game 7 between the Bruins and the Blues? I can give you a quick answer, but I choose not to. Um, I I do think the Bruins are going to win this game, but it really comes down to the coaching job that both uh, Craig Berube and, and, and Bruce Cassidy are going to do. You'd think coming off such a horrific game six home loss where the Blues were anticipating winning their first Stanley Cup, um... And not doing it, you know, that that's a very big blow. Uh, now they have the Blues have some really good precedent in the playoffs this year. They're nine and three on the road, and and the goalie Jordan Bennington has not lost back to back games at any point during the playoffs. That's not enough. The Ruby has to build this team back up because of the way that loss went down. They got taken to school, they got outskated, they got outplayed, and they even got out hit. So he has to build his team back up to where they can compete again. But on the other hand, Bruce Cassidy has to knock his team down a little. You didn't win anything yet, he has to tell them. Uh, all he did was tie the series Sunday night. And if they go in with any kind of overconfidence, they can they can get knocked down in a big way. Now, I think because of the veteran leadership the Bruins have with Patrice Bergeron, Zidane Chara, and, uh, and the way Tukarask is playing in goal, I think that will allow them to go into the game with the proper mindset. But here's one thing that many, many old Bruins fans know. Playing game seven at home looks like a great big advantage. Well, they lost at home in the seventh game in 2009 and over to Carolina, 2010 to Philadelphia. That was an infamous series because they were up three games, zero. And then in the seventh game, they had a 3 nothing lead and still lost. In 2012, when they were the defending champions, they lost the seventh game at home to the Washington Capitals. And in 2014, they lost the seventh game at home to the Montreal Canadiens. Now, they've had a number of big wins in the seventh game, uh, Montreal and Tampa Bay in 2011, and then famously, uh, three seventh games in a row against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, you know, there's good and bad, but it comes down to going into this game with the mindset, we haven't proven anything yet, we have to find a way, and because they have the veteran leadership, 
and one of the most underrated players, you know, all time in the NHL and Patrice Bergeron, they get it done. Thanks, Steve. That's an answer. You're listening to my man's and them. Just some men that's on the mic. And when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic. Right? J Hood. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app.